0: the cnbc app global market news in one place customizable sections and personalized alerts stocks tracking interactive charts and market insights all in your hands stay connected stay informed download the cnbc app today
1: hello and welcome to squawk box here are your headlines today the s p 500 stares down the barrel of its worst first half since 1970 while a host of other assets trade at multi-decade lows But energy outperforms amid the turbulence, with WTI on track for its longest quarterly winning streak ever. The world's top central bankers walked the inflation tightrope at the ECB's Sintra Summit, with Fed Chair Jerome Powell admitting aggressive tightening could spark a recession.
0: Is there a risk that we would go too far? Certainly there's a risk. But uh, I I wouldn't agree that it's the biggest risk to the economy. I think the, the, the bigger mistake to make, let's put it that way, would be to fail to restore price stability.
2: The end of strict COVID curbs boosts the Chinese economy with factory activity expanding for the first time in three months, while the services sector rebounds at its fastest pace in more than a year. And Three Arrows Capital becomes the latest casualty of the crypto winter. Liquidators move in after the hedge fund defaults on a loan tied to big bets on digital currencies.
1: It has been a wild ride. It uh, certainly felt like that covering at uh, day in, day out of the course of the first half. And let me just demonstrate just how volatile markets have been as we look to wrap up the first half. Uh, the longer the period, the longer the duration, the, the starker the contrast to normal trading patterns. And you can see over the course of the first half of this year, we are trading down by almost 20% on the S&P 500 index, bear market territory. We've been there in terms of the dip. We recovered a little bit of territory just lifting us slightly out of that bear market level but still at just a fraction off at this point and you can see deep pain wrecked over the course of the first half of this year. When it comes to the quarter, it has been a very strong trading pattern as well, 15% down. We've had all sorts of fears over the course of this trading period. The COVID situation has always been in the backdrop. The impact on inflation, supply chains with more COVID restrictions out of China over the course of the six months. And of course, the war in Ukraine that has also accelerated some of these trends. So it has been certainly a pattern where investors have repositioned, sold off stocks and weathered a lot of pain on markets. 7.5% just off for the month of June. So we didn't really let up in terms of volatility as we entered a new trading month. Let's contrast this slide to the Dow. We are seeing some smaller ranges at the percentage falls over the course of the year. 14% 14% down on the Dow at this point. Energy, of course, a big uh, commodity that plays in the, the index here, and that has a dramatic consequence versus much wider index like the S&P 500 as we factor in those big technology names. Over the course of the quarter, down 10.5%. That is correction territory still, of course, and 5.9% down for the month. For the NASDAQ, uh, this is where it gets punchy if you take a look at the numbers. Still bear market territory. 28% down year-to-date, 21% down for the quarter, so rough old trend trading pattern for the last three months and 7.5% slide for the month is what we've witnessed. But again, we've all felt it as we take a look at the change in assumptions. Sequoia, for me, was the one that really put it out front, talking about the much shorter runway for a lot of those big growth companies now, no longer having the window of a couple of years to think about a growth story, but very much having to pivot, talking about bringing forward expectations to hit profit targets and also to trim the cash burn, given the much more aggressive monetary policy we're now facing to tackle inflation. Uh, The uh, technology for the quarter Let's just take a look at uh, some of those big name stocks and it does just amplify the messaging around some of these names in particular that have been hard hit. I mean, Netflix, a lot of self-sabotage there. Early numbers uh, around reporting season about the loss of subscriber numbers. That stock uh, falling aggressively and just not catching much of a bid. 52% down over the course of the three month trading period. Some of the other worst performers, Meta, it uh, was somewhat resilient in that it didn't travel in the same direction quite to the extent of Netflix. But still, a rough trading month as we talk about such a major cap stock these days. As the social media platform shed that 26%, despite again trying to pivot investors towards its growth story around the metaverse. Just not uh, really catching any traction, of course, greater fears too around the advertising model as we talk about potential for a recession now for some of these global economies. 20 percent down for Apple. again seen as one of the best of the bunch often as we talk about trading patterns, still incredible pain wrecked on that stock, 15 percent off Microsoft. another market leader as we've been talking about, strengthened markets over recent years, records after records inked. Often it's been Microsoft that has played in that story. the other major is 19 percent down for alphabet, Twitter completely out of context with the rest of the the bunch on the boards that is we had that bit on the table of course from elon musk that has underpinned some of the action in the stock not all of it but uh, it's been a slightly different pattern let's get some thoughts with michael yoshikami founder and ceo of destination wealth management michael it's been that strap yourself in sort of market hasn't it all year for 2022 what do you think this means uh do we start looking over some of the beaten up areas of the market or are we still playing it safe for the second half
0: Well, I I think uh, markets are in consolidation phase right now. I think 20 percent down, as you indicated, is bear market territory. Uh, And there are a number of um, sectors that are starting to look appealing. Uh, But I would be very careful, Karen. I wouldn't be jumping in um, headfirst into these names. I still think there's lots of uncertainty around what the Federal Reserve is going to do and if they're going to tighten too much and dip the U.S. economy into recession. So I'd be uh, I'd be buying and nibbling, but I wouldn't go full in because I still think there's lots of volatility ahead of us.
1: If I can just bring in the latest from Jay Powell, effectively warning about the, the multiple different shocks and how this could transition to a higher inflation environment or regime. That's what they're trying to prevent. But if you think about the language and the promises that have been made so far around tackling inflation with much higher interest rates, is there any chance that we really are setting in for an entrenched inflationary regime?
0: I don't think we're headed into entrenched inflation, but I do think we're going to have aggressive policy moves by the Federal Reserve, and I believe them that they're going to increase interest rates here in the United States by another three quarters of percent. That's already having a chilling effect on an, on the economy. Um, I'm of the belief if we're not in recession, we're about to be in recession. Um, you're starting to see um, companies be hesitant in terms of job hires, and you certainly are starting to see an impact in terms of real estate. So um, I just I. I i don't have evidence yet um, that we're going to be in a long-term inflationary environment because i think eventually the russia ukraine situation will calm down hopefully sooner than later uh, and that's a big spike towards inflation eventually supply uh chain issues through china who that is now starting to finally open up will be resolved uh, but i think the greater risk is um, uh, as as jay powell said in his recent testimony His greatest fear is that there's not price stability, that there's runaway inflation. And I think they're going to do everything they can to bring the interest rate hammer down on inflation. And I think that puts us at risk of uh, moving into a recession.
2: Michael, good morning. Juliana here. Um, I certainly take your um, point that you do firmly expect the Fed to continue raising interest rates and to go for the more aggressive 75 basis points. But what about a few months out? What about the risk that the Fed flip flops like we've seen many central banks uh, forced to do um, in, in years past and effectively stop start when it comes to rates?
0: Well, it's interesting you bring that up because I think that's probably what's going to happen. I think what's going to happen is inflation is runaway right now. Federal Reserve is going to bring out these uh, multiple uh, very, very strong signals that they're looking to control inflation. It's going to dip the economy into a slow growth, uh, stagflation, or a recessionary environment. And then I think the Fed's going to start cutting rates again later on this year. So I don't necessarily see that as a negative thing. If the Federal Reserve moves us closer towards recession, and breaks the back of inflation and has to cut a little bit to stimulate the economy. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. And I think that's actually starting to be built into our base case scenario, that there's going to be some interest rate relief after inflation is actually hopefully broken here in the near future.
2: Michael, that sounds like an incredibly difficult environment for uh, investing if we do see this sort of flip-flopping from the Federal Reserve. You um, mentioned to Karen that you do see some opportunities to nibble. I think that was the word you used um, when it comes to markets. What what would your best trades be right
0: now? Well, I think that you want to look at big tech. I think big tech certainly is um, trading off at a discount. I think there are a number of uh, retail names that are trading significantly Um, at a discount as well. I'll tell you what I would probably not be doing would be um, throwing lots of money in emerging markets. Um, I think that emerging markets are going to continue to struggle, particularly Asian uh, emerging markets. Um, I also would be hesitant to pile more money into commodities, even though oil has been an outperformer. And um, I think it was Carolyn outlined the difference between the Dow and S&P is really basically because of what happens, what's happening with energy. Um, I think you just need to be careful. Um, It is going to be a difficult environment and that's why investors need to be really looking at their portfolios and asking themselves, what do I own right now that I wanna own in two years or three years or four years or five years after we get through this difficult spell? If you can't see out far past that time horizon, you might really wanna ask yourself if you really wanna be in those names. And I might also add, if a company has promised earnings but has no earnings or has no P-E ratio, Be very, very careful because as we've seen, that could be a brutal um,
1: space to play in. Michael, I appreciate the the longer term perspective there. If I can just uh, switch back to the shorter term one, because I was fascinated by your point about uh, the Fed could be cutting at some point. And if you think about the market psychology just in the past week, I know many investors have been trying to just ascertain whether we're forming a base here because we may have gone peak inflation. Perhaps we're through some of the worst of these uh, heady numbers. But that said, we've not really seen the market action reinforce that point this week. Are we getting any closer, do you think, uh, getting past some of the volatility because we're going to see a market that will move six months ahead of any Fed action that could be cutting?
0: Yeah, I think we're getting closer. And I think that's what we're watching for. And I think investors should watch for is, as you mentioned, peak inflation. If you start to see some hesitation or not some hesitation, some pause in the in the rise of inflation, if in the United States, you start to see housing starts significantly impacted as they are. um, If you start to see um, some relief I think that's what the market's looking for. They're looking for some sustained relief. And I'm not talking about carrying one data point. I think you need two or three data points to confirm it's just not an anomaly. Uh, When you see that, then we can be confident that we're forming a base because you're right. The market is going to look six months out. uh, And so you don't want to be behind the curve. So I would be looking very, very closely at the inflation data, as well as the message being telegraphed by uh, Chairman Powell and Federal Reserve Governors. Um, for whether or not we're forming an investable base.
2: Michael, we're going to leave the conversation there. Thank you for joining us this morning. Michael Yoshikami, founder and CEO, Destination Wealth Management. Fed Chair Jerome Powell says the central bank is willing to see the U.S. economy slow or even contract if it means tamping down inflation. Speaking at the ECB forum in Sintra, Powell admitted there is a risk rate hikes will cause the economy to fall into recession, but stressed the bigger risk would be to lose sight of price stability and allow inflation to take hold in the long term. Markets now see rates peaking next March at 3.5 percent, a projection Powell said closely reflects the Fed's own hiking path.
0: We've only had three meetings at which we raised rates. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, the forward rate curve is, is pricing in, you know, a rate path that looks a whole lot like the the summary of economic projections that my colleagues and I submitted in June. So that's a good thing. That's yeah. the market understanding and finding credible what we're what we're writing down. Now, of course, it's all highly conditional, but nonetheless, I'd say that's a positive thing.
2: Meanwhile, Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey warned the UK economy will see inflation carry on for longer than other countries due to its greater exposure to surging energy prices. Bailey echoed his counterpart at the Fed, saying the BOE will do what it takes to bring down inflation.
3: The message that we, we gave and was in the language of our last meeting, as you, as you rightly said, was that if we see greater persistence of inflation, that's second round effects, mm-hmm. then we will act more forcefully and uh, we will have to act more forcefully. It leaves options on the table, and that's very deliberate, very deliberate. I mean, if people, I want people to take a message away from that. It's quite clear that as we respond to this shock, uh, we, we want to have those options on the table.
2: Coming up on the show, President Biden thanks his Turkish counterpart for lifting a veto on Sweden and Finland's bid to join NATO. We're live on the ground at the summit in Madrid next.
1: NATO leaders have pledged to strengthen their support for Ukraine, calling Russia a direct threat to their security. The military alliance will also now welcome two new members, Sweden and Finland. US President Joe Biden thanked his Turkish counterpart Recep Tayyip Erdogan for breaking the impasse and lifting his veto on their membership bids. The two leaders met on the sidelines of the summit in Madrid, where they discussed the future of the alliance as well as food insecurity emerging from the war in Ukraine. President Erdogan said it was his priority to speed up grain exports from Ukraine to help alleviate the food crisis. It is our hope that we are in an effort to solve the process with a good balanced policy on the issue of Russia and Ukraine, especially the negative developments that have occurred with the grains issue recently, as well as the developments in fuel oil. We are trying to solve the process with a balancing policy. Our hope is that this balanced policy will lead to results and allow the possibility to get grain to countries that are facing shortages right now through a corridor as soon as possible. Meanwhile, Russian President Vladimir Putin said he was not opposed to Sweden and Finland joining NATO, but warned Russia will quote have to respond if military infrastructure is deployed in the countries.
0: NATO members and leading NATO countries simply want to assert themselves, further assert their role in the world. Confirm the leadership in their hegemony and the truest sense of the world, their imperial ambitions. As for Sweden and Finland, we do not have such problems with Sweden and Finland that we have with Ukraine, unfortunately. We have no territorial issues or disputes. We have nothing to worry about in terms of membership of Finland and Sweden in NATO. Well, they want it, please. They only must clearly understand that there were no threats to them before. Now, if military contingents and infrastructure are deployed there, we will have to respond in a mirror manner.
1: Let's get out to Hadley for more out of Madrid. Hadley, I could see these comments almost being made uh, a lifetime ago at St. Petersburg Forum that it's it's you, it's not us, that uh, you're jumping at shadows, that we're not seeing a threat in that context. But, uh, of course, we've now had the war in Ukraine as we talk about the threats to Sweden and Finland.
3: Absolutely, Karen. And and one of the questions, of course, going forward is how quickly Sweden and Finland will actually become part of the alliance. Because essentially what we know is, at least in Finland, this has to be voted on by the parliament. Um, There are a lot of questions about how quickly boots on the ground could actually happen, how quickly you could see weapons uh, from the NATO alliance being placed in Sweden and Finland. These are two countries, of course, that were neutral for quite a while and able to beef up their own security as a result of that. So what they bring to the alliance is incredibly significant in terms of their own military capability. Now, taking a step back, you have to remember that over the last 24 hours, we heard from U.S. President Joe Biden, and he essentially said that the United States was going to beef up its commitment to the NATO alliance. He talked about adding more destroyers, missile defense systems. He also talked a little bit more about moving troops further into Eastern Europe. So we're going to see more people on the ground, essentially, as part of this 300,000 high alert readiness force that I asked the secretary general about yesterday. He said that in terms of a timeline, he's hoping to have those troops on high alert by the end of next year. Listening, though, to what he had to say about China. This is really continuing that dialogue that I've had with the secretary general again and again over the last couple of years, that China is a growing concern. We see a deepening strategic partnership between Moscow and Beijing. And China's growing assertiveness and its coercive policies have consequences for the security of allies and our partners. China is substantially building up its military forces, including nuclear weapons, bullying its neighbors, and threatening Taiwan. China is not our adversary, but we must be clear-eyed about the serious challenges it represents. The Secretary General making it very clear that while Russia remains the most significant and immediate threat to the alliance, China is a growing concern and a challenge for NATO. Guys,
1: Thank you very much for bringing us the latest coverage there. Much appreciated. Uh, We have a lot to show you on markets again. uh, Let's take you to the Asian markets. It has, of course, been a wild ride with uh, really the United States feeling like it was in the driving seat most of the time. And you can see across the board year to date. We have had the region impacted, impacted, but not quite to the extent that we've seen Out of those U.S. markets, you consider the the fall that we had on the S&P 500 for the year, we've been down close to 20%. percent you have got 8% off the Nikkei in Japan, 6% off the Chinese (laughs) stock market, 10% down for Australia. The call's been more in lockstep with that S&P trade and... We're talking recently about fears around potential for a recession, and that was really impacting the Cosby trade of late uh, in lockstep down 21%, but much more resilient performance across some of these other major markets. I would probably say when it comes to Australia, that would be a commodities story that you've seen on the stock market. The reopening theme has also been a strong one of late for the Chinese market. Let's just take a close up look at the month and the quarter and the year for that major market. You can see how just different patterns emerge over the course of a shorter period of time. So down 6% for the year for the quarter actually gaining almost five percent for the month up seven percent so very much staggered to the back end of this chart more recently as we've seen the reopening start to happen across major cities have been concerns about the impact of those strong COVID restrictions on the economic story in China and more broadly when it comes to supply chains. Hong Kong Other stories playing out there too, uh, some of this around tech regulation. We've seen some bright moments uh, of late for the stock market on hopes that uh, regulation will just be a little bit lighter than it has been in recent years. And that has propped up this market. So up 3% for the month, a fraction ahead for the quarter. Still negative year to date, uh, down 5.7%. But if you consider that 20% off the S&P and uh, 28% down for the Nasdaq, that is a very strong performance, Juliana.
2: A really fascinating trend we've seen in the Asian trade. Um, everybody closely watching mainland China, of course, from an economic perspective. And we got a little bit of a glimpse into the state of things overnight. China's factory and services sector snapped three months of activity declines in June, according to the latest PMI data. With supply chains receiving some relief after the commercial capital of Shanghai lifted its citywide lockdown in June. That is June 1st. Sam joins us now from Singapore with more. Sam, it looks like some signs of recovery coming from China. What more can you tell us?
4: Yeah, that's right, Juliana. Good morning to you. On the surface, these numbers look pretty good. As you say, manufacturing and services activity actually expanding for the first time in four months. And so investors really like what they hear here because, of course, it does point to further signs of this economic recovery. So we have seen the mainland markets outperforming the rest of the Asia-Pacific region this morning. We've also seen the Chinese currency, the UN, firming up a bit off the back of this. There are still some concerning trends within this data The weak property sector, which, of course, is an underlying concern, and also the labour market. Uh, We did actually see manufacturing not actually picking up as much as the market was looking for, but it certainly was an improvement. As as you say, we did see those COVID curbs starting to ease, that helped demand pick up, that long lockdown in Shanghai was finally lifted. That is a critical manufacturing hub. And, of course, we also saw the policymakers thrashing out more stimulus by the way of some of this tax relief and boosting this infrastructure spending, and so that really helped uh, production actually uh, hit the highest since March 2021. Uh, Those new orders actually expanded the most uh, in four months, and those delivery times improved, which certainly is a good sign that those supply chain disruptions are easing, which is good for the global trading picture, that China is navigating its way out of the supply shock that has been caused by these COVID outbreaks. Now, when you look at the non-manufacturing side of things, we saw the services sector leaping out of contraction territory, quite uh, an impressive rebound uh, in that sense, because, of course, these reopenings, it was really part of that story. It is good for things like accommodation, for catering uh, and also the travel industry. Uh, So that was an improvement there as well. But when you look under the hood at that non-manufacturing, we also saw that the real estate sector still contracted. And so there are still these weak pockets in this economic recovery. And that was certainly what Premier Li Keqiang was warning about earlier this week, while he said the recovery was certainly underway, uh, that the foundation is not solid. And actually if you look at the employment gauge on both of those PMIs, manufacturing and services, both contracted, which we know is a very worrying trend over in China, and particularly in a very politically sensitive year for the policymakers. Actually, data out of the PBOC just yesterday showed that the index for job confidence in the second quarter fell the most since the GFC back in 2008, and nearly 46% of those surveyed reckon that the employment situation is severe at the moment. So that is painting the picture of the economic recovery at the moment. But of course, one thing that China is trying to do is ease more of those COVID restrictions to really help that recovery. In the latest, what we've seen now is actually the ubiquitous travel code that everybody carries with them on their mobile phone. That has actually been dropped when it's comes to showing whether you've been in a high-risk area and certainly that is a big step for China and certainly the domestic travel industry which we know has been hard hit by this pandemic. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news you can head to cnbc.com
1: or join us again on the show with Jeff Cupmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.